And I think the Office of Faculty Affairs is a great place to sort of initiate those conversations and keep this going and supporting the faculty in this because it's really such a positive thing for them. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. This is Kim Skorupski at Hopkins. And on the episode today, I'm so pleased to reintroduce you to Dr. Chris Rangi. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Kim. How are you? I'm much better now. And you might be able to tell by the tone of this conversation, Chris and I, we really kind of resonate with each other. And we've just been kind of giggling and laughing for the first like 20 minutes before we even started talking about the podcast. But it also kind of reminds um, me of how important it is to be in touch with our friends and our colleagues and and to don't ever hesitate to, to reach out to people. It can just feel so good to, to be with people you love and respect. And even if it's on Zoom and they're, and they're flat Stanley versions and not thick three-dimensional versions. But I want, okay, so those of you who are new to the Faculty Factory, Dr. Chris Rungi, her episode aired back in 2019, January 29th, 2019. So that's three years ago. She was episode number six. You're going to want to go back to number six and hear all about Dr. Rungi in University of Wisconsin, Medical College of Wisconsin. But let's start by um, having Dr. Rungi tell you her titles at Wisconsin. Great. Thank you so much, Kim. And thank you so much for having me back. And um, this is just a fantastic podcast. And so and it's a wonderful resource for everyone. And, and I, I really appreciate all the work you and your team have done. And um, so my name is Chris Rungi. I'm Associate Provost for Faculty Affairs at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Uh, Medical College of Wisconsin is a freestanding medical school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, we are actually also a a health sciences university. So we have a medical school, um, a school of pharmacy, and a graduate school. We're always looking, we're we're adding new programs and uh, starting new initiatives and offering more and more degrees, and and so it's really growing all the time. And so the Office of Faculty Affairs in my role has actually expanded. I'm also technically senior associate dean of faculty affairs in the Medi- School of Medicine, but then also associate provost for the Health Sciences University. So we're, we're in a transition growing stage, um, but I do oversee all faculty uh, and support all faculty for the whole university, for all the schools. Wow, wow, wow. School wow. of Pharmacy, I, can't, if, I hope I mentioned that. <laughs> I, think I think you did. You know, um, okay. but we, we know friends out here listening, We Chris and I did talk about like some topics and we want to kind of catch you all up. But now I can't help but just to take a little diversion, because when you were talking about your roles, Chris, could you just do back up a little bit and tell everybody what is your academic expertise, your area, and kind of zip through your career trajectory, and um, and especially tell people because I've had this question recently: what is the difference between a dean and a provost? Take us back to your to your area of expertise. I love it. So uh, yeah, th- those are all really great questions. So my expertise, I'm I'm an audiologist by training and an auditory neurophysiologist for my research program. So um, I am a licensed audiologist in the state of Wisconsin. I, I don't necessarily see patients, um, but I do a lot of auditory research in cochlear implants and genetics of hearing and all kinds of hearing loss, pediatric hearing loss. So I, I do, st- and I still have an active research program in the auditory space, and I'm a professor of otolaryngology. So that's sort of my um, academic piece. I've been at MCW for 20 years going, oh, it'll be 21 years. I'm, I've been here my whole career. So I started as a postdoc 
And then I joined the faculty about a year and a half after my postdoc started. And um, I've just, I've loved it so much. And there've been tons of opportunities for me, both uh, academically, but then also in, in the faculty affairs role. And, and my, my career trajectory for faculty affairs was um, I, my chair recommended that I serve on a committee on the faculty career development committee ages ago. Um, he was, he's like, Chris, that'll be right up your alley. <laughs> You're going to love that. You know, you'll, you'll love that committee. So it was really the mentoring that I got from my chair, my faculty leader at the time and my service to the institution that got me into that space and, and getting to know people from across the whole organization. And we we're all passionate about faculty development. So that's sort of where I got uh, on the, this, this faculty piece. And then, and then I chaired that committee, which was a great leadership opportunity. So service opens up so many doors for you to know so many people and get a, you get a glimpse of how the institution works as well. Cause sometimes I think we as faculty can be pretty frustrated <laughs> with the, with our institutions sometimes like, why, why is this taking so long? It doesn't seem like anyone's hearing me and, and things like that, but there, you do have a voice in their, you know, in shared governance and their committees and their, their colleagues that you can talk to, to actually get some of these things done and participating on these does on these committees and things does give you a voice and an ability to change things for the better. So I found that to be the case. And I, and then I chaired that committee and that was a great leadership opportunity that did help my promotion. And, and, and uh, then I uh, kind of went from there, uh, loved it, met Kamara Ellison from, from faculty affairs. She's the, the support uh, for that committee. And um, through that, I couldn't stay on the committee forever. And so we talked and, and they created a director of faculty development role in the Office of Faculty Affairs. And I was able to apply for and get that role. So I was running workshops for the institution and just really taking that faculty development piece even further. Um, and then from there, I'd done that for a couple of years. And then this position for the senior associate dean opened up and I interviewed for that. And, and given all my experience and, and work in this area from faculty development perspective, took on this role. And I was clear when I when I interviewed for this role, too, I said, well, if you want an administrator or someone who's going to, you know, just make sure the wheels are turning and that's all I'm going to do. I said, I come from faculty development. I care about the faculty. I'm passionate about faculty and that's what I'm going to be focusing on. So that has to be a huge part of this role. And they were like, that's great. And so I've been able to do that. And I have the three, three when I started the three strategic focus areas of faculty well-being, career advancement, and leadership development. And so those are the areas we really focus on. Of course, making sure we're doing all the other administrative roles. So it's it's just sort of grown over time, but I just absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And tell people the difference quickly between deans and provosts. <laughs> well, kind of depends on where you are a little bit, right? So, so that, that's a good question, too. We could get into a big philosophical rabbit hole about titles, but um, we will not. No. <laughs> so, uh, no, no, neither. No one wants that. But yeah, so, so for the dean role in, 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 at Medical College of Wisconsin, my dean role was a dean within a senior associate dean within the School of Medicine. And so it was a little bit more operated that way. And we, we had seen, we have senior associate deans of research and senior associate deans. So it's like sort of overseeing and running these administrative offices that kind of keep the wheels on the bus and keep things moving at all times. Um, And the provost role, um, when we became a health sciences university, then we also had a provost to oversee, you know, and and, uh, facilitate the academic missions of all the schools. Um, And then this sort of, instead of each school having its own faculty affairs office, then my role popped out to be associate provost um, reporting to the provost um, to then support all the schools for their their faculty affairs work. The same happened with our um, 
associate provost of um, of research and, and a couple other of those roles that made sense. We didn't want to duplicate across schools. So we have one for the whole university. Yeah. So I so I the, the take home message to me, the way I always describe it is provosts are entire university deans are at the school level. Yes. Um, simply to simplify it really, really um, roughly. But I, I like that your story um, amplifies the story that I that we tell faculty a lot with leadership opportunities. Sometimes they come to you arrive in your life two ways. One is a position opening. You say, oh, so and so used to be the assistant dean or the associate dean or the provost or thus and such. They've left or retired and moved on. And that position is now vacant. I will apply for that position. Other times, another way is that positions may arrive by you simply saying, or someone in, for example, in your instance, Chris, a mentor or a sponsor or a coach, a supervisor or colleague says, you know, you'd be really good at this committee, or you always have talk about doing this and that. Why don't you just make that? Or why don't you propose that? Or why don't you build that? So it can be like top down or bottom up or whatever you want to talk about it, but it's I like the, the point is that don't necessarily be hemmed in by, well, there are no opportunities available. There are no spots available. Well, look for a need and fill that need, uh, create, build, innovate, do something. And then you can grow that into a leadership role, maybe not even necessarily by title, but just by virtue of doing something. And then who knows what will come of that just by you using the talents and passions and, and interests that we have, Right. Yep. Oh, I completely agree. And what I'd like to emphasize too is it, it's wonderful when you're tapped and someone says, hey, I think you'd be great for this. And that certainly happens. And, you know, we're doing our day to day and sometimes we're not thinking, but I would also like to encourage faculty, please also be thinking about what you what you think you could do. Maybe don't wait to be tapped. Maybe don't wait for that. You know, really think about it. Because sometimes, you know, we, we have our leadership academy and we have faculty and staff who participate in that. And some uh, in our orientation say, oh, I don't even know why I was selected for this. What are my, you know, and it's like, no, no, that means you have something. You have these leadership skills. You you were selected. So take that time to think about your career and your 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 talents and your skills and and what you bring to the table, I know, again, we get caught up in kind of our day-to-day, but think about what your passions are and, and look for those opportunities and say, maybe I could do that. And, and think about yourself that way. You know, maybe don't be surprised if someone taps you or, you know, again, sometimes we all need a little bit of a wake up or, or a perspective we weren't considering. But yeah, but but really think about some of those things and be looking for those opportunities, as you said, Kim. So yeah. I'd like to encourage people, you, you're you're really talented and you, you can do more things than I think you even realize, right? And exactly. And yeah. to me, it's I, I what I found, especially and personally too, is it's oftentimes I find when people do something and they do it so easily without even thinking about it, they're like, this is like falling off a log. What's the big deal about this? And that's when I'm like, no, ding, ding, ding. It's easy for you because that's your gift. And, yeah. and the people would say, well, no, anybody can do this. No, 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 no. That's So that's like sometimes you, when you need somebody else to reflect back on you and say, no, this is such a no brainer for you. But, and so you think it can't be a big deal because it's just so common sense for me, or it's so easy for me, or it just feels so natural for me. That's when we sometimes need that moment, as you're saying, to pause and for someone else to go, no, frankly, you're really underestimating that that is a gift you have. If anybody could do it, they'd be doing it. So I like that reflection. But anyway, I've led you downstream and I know you wanted to talk about some 
um, three, at least three topics. So catch us up on this little reunion tour. We're walking through where we've been, where we're going, what you're seeing from the leadership perspective and, and faculty members. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. And I, and uh, as, as we touched on a little bit prior to this, I, you know, a lot of things that have happened, you know, um, have been sort of spawned from this, from the pandemic. I don't want to make it about the pandemic. I think we we are well aware of what that is and that people are talking about it for a long time. So really want to talk about all the new things that we're doing. And again, it sort of arose from that, but these are some really cool things that have happened um, since then. And one, one thing uh, started off with our faculty. What I really love is that it's been very obvious about the shared governance that we have and the faculty voice. And I think sometimes faculty, like I said before, I think that faculty may, might not feel like they have a voice all the time, they, we have had faculty approach faculty affairs and their leaders about promotion. What do we do about promotion when we couldn't get into our labs, when we couldn't do certain things for a period of time? And sure, some people put in a lot of grants and papers and things, but but what about the upper out policy, for example? And I know that's a nickname for it. You know, it's called something more official, but we all know what that means. Um, and so the tenure clock. Um, and and um, here, tenure is actually separated at MCW. Tenure and promotion are separate um, mechanisms, so they don't go hand in hand with a promotion necessarily. So, but there is a, an up or out policy that we had, for example, for certain faculty. So, if you haven't gotten promoted by year six, then you know you, you, it's an automatic uh, non renewal. Mm. But and and so our, our basic science faculty in particular were very concerned about that and came to faculty affairs and we worked with the office of research and faculty affairs and faculty governance and and ultimately what what it came to be is we noticed that we and I looked at it we actually haven't used that even if we could have we we don't we don't do it um, and so I'm like, why do we have it? It's just something that's frightening everybody. And, make, and I'm like, and we can't say, oh, don't worry. We don't ever do that because faculty are like, whatever, you have it on the books, you could, you know. So that was really important feedback. And I looked at it I'm like, we don't actually use it. We have other mechanisms if we want to help support faculty. And if they're not, you know, we have other ways of helping faculty and supporting them in their careers or, or helping mentor them into a role that's better, maybe somewhere else. So we got rid of it. <laughs> so I proposed it. Uh- Went through faculty. I was like, I don't think we need this. And it's just, you know, and, and, and it just illuminated that. So, so we actually don't have that in our faculty handbook anymore. We struck the language and, um, and, and we talked to the chairs, we talked to faculty, we talked to faculty governance and leaders and everyone was fine with it. We're like, yeah, we really don't need this mechanism here, the way we operate at MCW. Well, good for you. That that's brave and courageous move because I, I, I'm thinking of your faculty members going, come on into this to this gym and get fit and don't mind the big stretch and torture rack. We never use that. We never use that. Don't worry about it, but it's there. And I got to walk by it and I got to see it. You could be using that on me. Why would I want to go down that? That's scary looking. So kudos to you for being brave to say, yeah, but it does scare people. Regardless of whether you use it or not, it could be used. And that is like the looming threat. So why present another threat or potential hurdle for people, we're talking academics, people who who read and can be, you know, rational and think about things. And so it's a little bit insulting to tell people, oh, don't worry about that fine print. Just look over here. So good for you. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's like a little, don't worry your pretty little head kind of thing. It's like, oh boy. Yeah. It's really offensive actually. And And yeah, and I do. And one thing, though, on the on the other side of it, though, is some people and faculty themselves actually had concern. But if you don't have this policy, then some people could languish at the assistant professor level because there's nothing to even 
motivate leaders because if they had to implement that policy, they might think, oh gosh, I really need to actually get this faculty member to speed. So what we're doing, so what this really launched is our um, the Office of Faculty Affairs um, has now, we, what we've done is we've launched a, a holistic review of our promotion and tenure processes. And we're looking at everything. And uh, because it's like, why not? You know, we made that smallest change. And, you know, and what happened is, is I kind of also then reflected on everything. And we've changed a lot. And faculty have changed. And, and really, our promotion and tenure processes have been in place for literally over 100 years, right? And in academia, they're pretty ancient. And so, and they were designed for a different sort of faculty, right. a different demographic, different sorts of um, what we value, quote unquote, you know, for faculty and, and in academics. And so we really, so what we want to do is, and, and we've made iterative changes over the years, but now it looks like a house that you've built, you know, you built the house and then you add a room here and maybe the, maybe they don't even line up super well, but you know, and then there's a room stuck over here and it looks kind of like this cobbled together thing after a while. And we're like, People are a little confused and, and it's like, it's kind of clunky in some places, maybe drafty. So what we want to do, the vision for this is to reimagine modern, sustainable, diverse, and equitable promotion and tenure processes to fully recognize and reward the academic contributions of MCW faculty now and in the future. Hmm. So if we're going to build this, if we're going to just take a look at the whole thing, we want it also to be forward compatible. This needs to work for our faculty now because it doesn't work kind of putting some square pegs around holes right now. And we wanted to like, then for the next 20 years or so, what do we think it's going to look like? And we have all these great initiatives around community engagement and, and, you know, in uh, clinical productivity and, um, and, you know, quality and so many things. Right. And, and we're able to sort of put that in certain places, but people feel a little crammed in, in maybe where they don't belong. When you think about a promotion pathway, it's actually a faculty member's identity. And that's what we found. And so if, if a faculty member is going up from promotion in a pathway that is entitled something that doesn't feel like them, then they don't like it. And they don't feel that that's a reward. They don't, they don't feel that that's that actually their identity. Yeah, they don't feel valued. That's an interesting <laughs> way. I'll just yeah. pause and underline yeah. what you're just saying. Faculty identity yeah. is associated with promotion pathway. And, and that that's resonating with me too here at Hopkins, because we, within the past two years, we always were a single promotion track, only one way. And we recently added the clinical excellence promotion track to um, validate and reward and acknowledge all the hard work of our clinically excellent uh, faculty members. And we thought, you know, some people were doing the major eye rolling, kind of like, are you kidding me? Who cares what the title, the label is this or that, if it's a, a comma here or of this or, you know, a clinical excellence professor, clinically excellent associate professor, who cares what that means? But what you just said, people do care. Faculty, our identity shows how you value me. If, you know, you call me a a child versus your stepchild, that little distinction there probably makes a difference to some people. So, I mean, that that that's really important that you recognize that our identity and our faculty members' identities going forward by virtue of the nature of their business and how the reimbursement methods and research has changed. We have to move and acknowledge those changes and who they are. So that's, again, another highlighted Great thing you're doing there at MCW. 
Great. Thank you so much. And, and, and yeah, and one of the really fun parts is that we're very intentional too about this process involving faculty from the get-go. So even just, you know, announcing, you know, running it by faculty groups, even before we started it, engaging faculty in discussion sessions and they're virtual, but, and, and we have, you know, a suggestion box on our website and being very clear in pre- presenting to faculty governance a lot in faculty council and being in front of the faculty and communicating, being really, really transparent and communicating about it because the faculty should build this, right? This is by, for, and with the faculty. That's a, that's a, it's a core principle of, of this process. And, and the faculty are brilliant. And like you said, they're rational, brilliant, amazing people who want that. And they don't want a rubber stamping process either. It's not like I'm, you know, it's like, oh, the bar is going to be, you know, there's nothing really to worry about here. It should be by the faculty and it should bring all faculty together. And we see all the different types and the, the, the things that are going on for faculty and what, what we should be rewarding and all the great work that they do and see them. So, so we've engaged the faculty, faculty leaders um, and, and things as well in this process. We are also have engaged some external reviewers that will have come look at the whole process. And we also really want to look at it from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens as well. Um, because given <laughs> that our current criteria, a lot of it has been in place for, again, over 100 years, are there some things in there that are systemically, inherently biased? And I want to take a look at that. And I want to, and then also part of what we'll do is on the other side of this, look at that now, and then always take a look and do an annual audit of, of time and rank. Um, looking at these different, and that, that sort of goes too with, with the upper out policy and the concerns about people languishing. Faculty affairs now as part of this, we'll, we will do back dashboards. Here's how long people have been in rank. Here's the average over the, we're doing a whole analysis of all the pack, uh, promotion packets of the le- and t- tenure packets of the last three years. How long, on average, how long have people been in rank? Is it different by gender? Is it different by if you're underrepresented in medicine? What are we, and we're analyzing the CVs, like number of publications, all these things mm-hmm. to help inform this process moving forward and provide some guideposts for faculty and leaders. And we can provide dashboards like, hey, your faculty member has been in rank for a little for a little bit longer. They're coming up on this, you know, three years. And so we'll, we're going to build some other things in the overall process to really facilitate faculty staying on track with their promotion, knowing what the criteria are, and then facilitating the leaders in mentoring their faculty um, and the departments and making sure that their faculty are really, really on track with these promotion paths. So, so it's, it's a, it's a big process and it's been fantastic. And what, what's been fun too, is I love being with faculty talking about promotion. Mm-hmm. It's getting people excited about it again. Sometimes in our workshops, the faculty might say, well, why should I get promoted? Well, who cares? You know, it's like, well, maybe there's a, a little pay increase that comes with that or something. Maybe, maybe not. But why should I do it? You know, it's, it's a lot of work. I got to put a portfolio together. Why would I do that? I want to put my stuff together. And it's like, it's gotten people really excited about it. And, and I do have to say, can, we actually had um, in these discussion sessions with faculty, we, we asked faculty identity questions. One is, what does it mean to you to be faculty? And the other is, why do you think it's important to be promoted? Yeah. And it was so inspirational, the responses we got about being part of an academic community, and it's a differentiator, and, and there's autonomy and flexibility with it um, as being faculty. You help others, your role models for learners, and pushing the field forward, and in an environment of scholarship, the things that people were saying is what it means to be faculty and about why it's important to be promoted. It's recognition from your peers, both internally and externally, recognition of your achievements, of service, your development, and professional pride. And so 
there's been a, and, and, and about also the, the institution, when they, the institution promotes you, you feel valued, you feel seen and respected by the institution. So it's a symbiotic, it's a beautiful thing, honestly. And it's something I think we should be, you know, talking about all the time and, and putting so much energy toward. And I think the Office of Faculty Affairs is a great place to sort of initiate those conversations and keep this going and supporting the faculty in this because it's really such a positive thing for them. What I love that you did was ask that question at your promotion set sessions. What does it mean for you to be a faculty member? What does it mean for you to be promoted or not? Talk to us about that. And that those quotes and those reflections to me should reassure some of the old guard who are worried about change and innovation and who are really steeped in understandably so tradition. And our institutions that are 100 plus, 125, 130 years old, and we're hanging on by, you know, our fingernails insisting that this is the way we've always done things, things work well. And if we change too much, we will lose our identity. We will lose, lower the bar and lower standards. Well, my gosh, what you just showed um, to the whole global community is that at MCW, your faculty are endorsing the same principles that the whole, that academia has always espoused and engendered. All those qualities, the faculty still care about. So I always forget if it's General George Kinshecki or the the late uh, Colin Powell, who said, those who fail to innovate or will risk um, obsolescence. So the idea that you can, we have to change. And if you don't change, you'll risk being left aside. So we have to be, as you're doing so well, working with the faculty because leaders come and go, but the academia is the faculty. They are going to take us into the future. What do they, how do they see this? And to me, it's so reassuring to know that they're carrying the mantle. They get it. They value the same things. Just a different way of, of acknowledging and seeing it and enabling right. and allowing it and supporting it. Yep. Yeah, it's been, it's really, it's been fun. You know, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of coordination stuff, but oh, Kim, it's been so much fun. And I was talking to the team about this and like, we should do this about like every five years or so. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, pull some and do a listening session. Okay, what do you think? How's it going? You know, and keep it fresh. And and, you know, I think, and as I sort of alluded to before, you know, I also really, really want to look at things that we've always taken for granted. Like you said, we've always, they've, they've been steeped in tradition and things like that. But again, that is also where some inequities exist, right? I think, you know, those those bars of, well, if you're invited for an international presentation and you have to go and give it, you know, then that counts. Like that's huge for, for a professor. And it's like, okay, I do get that if you're invited and things like that, but historically certain demographics have not even been considered to be invited despite how great they are in the field and everything else. Some people, sure, but we know some people have to do, you know, hundred times more work and even to be thought of and considered for some of these invitations. And so the other thing is, is some people, uh, and maybe they are, um, you know, the, they have some flexibility. They're they're the primary caregivers of children or others um, aren't going to go to an international meeting. They don't have the support system necessary for their family to up and go to an international meeting. So it doesn't mean that their work is any less valued or or less, um, you know, and so I just think that, and and in fact, I've asked some of that in some of these listening, in these discussion sessions with faculty, and I've had some 
And I'll just say some female faculty say, oh, no, actually, that's the pandemic has been great. The virtual has been great. Now I I presented international meetings now because I can because it's virtual and I don't have to travel. And so when we think about what some of those barriers are for certain people, it's like, well, yeah, then these people get promoted because they can just up and leave and go to take a week and go to an international meeting to give a talk. Yeah. But not everyone can. So should they not be promoted because they're not? And again, uh, I I think it's getting better from our our national organizations to have panels that are more diverse, Mm -hmm. but they weren't. And even in my field, you know, that was called out just honestly, just about three years ago at very publicly at a meeting about a mantle. (laughs) Someone stood up and said, you know, and there are no women on this panel and there are no people who are underrepresented medicine. And, And that changed. They made a big change and now that's happening, but that was only in the last like three years. And so people in my field coming up for promotion now weren't invited to be on those panels and it wasn't intentional, wasn't not pointing fingers, but those are our criteria. So what's up with that? Is that actually really pointing to value and why people should be recognized for their contributions to our field? So I really want to look at that. And I really want to, I I love that, that institutionalize the regular checkups. How are we doing? Looking at the metrics, as you said, looking at the data, tracking this, looking at trends, not going just by anecdotally or people saying it's fine or we're fine or everybody's fine. Let's look at the data then, then that we should have no problem being transparent and tracking and regularly having that gut check of, yeah, it's working. Are we sure? How can we improve it? Um, Don't mess with it if it ain't broke. Well, yeah, we're just saying, we're just saying that's fine. Still, I take my car to get checked. It's still, it's working, but I still want to make sure everything's, I'm going to nip it in the bud beforehand. I'm not going to wait till something's wrong in my body until I go to the doctor. I want to make sure. So the same thing in our institutions, let's, Let's not wait till things fall apart and we start losing faculty and we're burning faculty out and they're losing hope and and really being um, just kind of demoralized. Let's kind of anticipate the best we can and then put in place, uh, empower the faculty to have a voice. As you're saying, you do an MCW with the shared governance. Yeah. Load it right over Good. Yeah, I love that. And that, that's a great point. And to, yeah, and specifically call out to the data will tell us what to do. They'll tell us what's not broken. And they'll tell, because we don't actually know, you know, we have our thoughts and, you know, stuff, but you know what, the data will tell us and we'll tell everybody about it. We want to be really transparent about it. We have, there's nothing, there's nothing to hide from. It's, it is what it is. And again, this isn't about assessing blame or anything either. This is about, it just is what it is. And here's where we are now. And let's see, let's look at this and let's see where we want to go. And you're right. And we'll just keep an eye on it and just make sure we're not slipping anywhere, <laughs> you know, in, in some of those areas specifically. Mm-hmm. What else did you want to share with the faculty factory audience? We've talked about a lot here and I feel like um, I like how we've, you've talked about some real, you know, realistic things you could do that are not huge lifts for the leader's perspective well, it sounds like, oh my gosh, who wants to revise all their governance policies and all their P&T and all, that sounds like a heavy lift. Uh, you've described how you've done this. It's obviously doable. It can be a mess, but you can, you bit off one step at a time. You just got rid of the tenure clock. That, that's like a little step you can make. We talked a little bit about how faculty can take advantage of opportunities and look for ways to um, contribute and explore passions and interests within them that they may not even be aware of and look for opportunities to, to contribute more and to feel more and to 
be more engaged in other things of runnings of our institution. I, we talked about this faculty identity concept of your, I love that idea of really talking to the faculty and asking them what they think about being promoted. What does that mean to them? So anything else you wanted to share with us? Gosh, I, I think that's, I mean, that's a lot. It's such a passion, I guess. I don't know. I just, I just love this and I love the, the faculty and working with the faculty on this and the, the, the excitement and the, that, ev- that everyone has around this. And I just, and I'm excited again, this is also setting us up for, it's kind of a, a little bit of a big lift for our office right now to coordinate all the, you know, to sort of put this process in place. And, but once we get this rolling, I'm excited because I'm like, we've got a 15 year plan here, at least right. Three more of the, you know, or something like that. We can do this and stay on top of it. It'll, keep the faculty engaged, I hope, and, and keep us working together. And, and, and I do want the faculty to feel valued and know that they do have a voice and it, it matters. Yeah. And this is for them. This isn't, this isn't about me or what I want, or, you know, it, or like you said, leaders, it's just, this is, yeah. this is the faculty and this is what we're here for. So, yeah, I think it's just, that's, that's what's underlying all of it. And so I just love it. And, and thank you for the opportunity to share that today, Kim. And it makes me excited to talk about it too. Uh, so. Yeah, you're, you're, one these, you're one of these people who it's always um you if you ever anybody ever goes to the group on faculty affairs, the PDC, the professional development conference, Chris is one of those people you'd see running to the hallway, and she always has that that ray of sunshine. So yeah, your energy is contagious. So thank you for being on the Faculty Factory podcast. If you want to get a hold of Dr. Rungi and learn more about all the great stuff happening at MCW. Her email address is C-H-R-U-N-G-E. I'll say that again, C-H-R-U-N-G-E at mcw.edu. Is that right, Chris? That is correct. Right, Dr. Rungi, the Associate Provost for Faculty Affairs at MC Wisconsin. Great um, conversation as usual. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all your wisdom. Everybody in the Faculty Factory podcast, This is the kind of stuff we want to share, spread the good news, be on the podcast, get people come to this. And um, I'd love to interview you and have a conversation. Please don't be shy. Facultyfactory.org. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. You've been great. I really love talking to you always. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Great to see you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.